Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Way back in 2005, two brothers set off on a road trip that would save the world and change television. Ernie and Bert? For 15 seasons and 327 episodes, Supernatural took audiences on a wild ride of family, fate, and faith with a rocking soundtrack and a seriously cool car. But that was then, Bobbo, and this is now. And yes, the show has quote-unquote ended, but we're not quite done with the journey. No, we're not. And that's why we're watching it all over again, or for Rob and me, for the first time, right. diving deep into every episode of Supernatural with the fine folks who made it. And we're taking you along for the ride. Whether you like it or not. I'm Rob Benedict. I played Chuck Shirley, a.k.a. God. Uh, spoiler! Yeah, it is a bit of a spoiler, but hey, spoilers are fair game here. Ah, fine. And I'm Richard Spade Jr., and I played the Trickster, also known as the Archangel Gabriel. And I did a little bit of Loki work in there. Okay, you know we're running out of time. Okay, well, we'll be talking about the entire series, so whatever we say, accept it. You've been warned. So buckle up and settle in. Because this, my friend, is Supernatural, then and now. Hey, everybody, it's Rob Benedict. Hi, my name is Richard Spate. And we are talking about Supernatural Season 2, Episode 15, Tall Tales. This is an episode that a lot of people feel is the tentpole episode. The episode the episode that they knew would make or break the show. They all hung their hats on this episode. And there is a school of thought that they hit such a peak here with such excellence. They could have literally wrapped up shop right after this and have accomplished really uh, wonderful things in the pantheon of television accomplishments. See, I thought they really phoned it in. It was a snoozer. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it was, <laughs> it was great. Hey, before we get into it, Keep an eye out for updates on Instagram and Twitter at SPN Then and Now. Yeah, you got to do it. Kids, you know you're on social media. Just go over there and follow SPN Then and Now on Instagram and Twitter. I I don't mind reading these announcements, but Rob's tired of reminding it. He's over it. So just save Rob the agita and go do it. No, it's uh, it's it's really <laughs> – I'm really getting tired of it. Um, so listen, let's get into it. What uh, – what was this uh, throwaway episode all about? <laughs> Summarize it for us, Bobo. All right. Sam and Dean head for Springfield State University. I like it already. Ooh, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> to investigate the death of a professor who fell from his office. Fell out the window. The circumstances of the professor's death match an urban legend about the campus being haunted. Ooh. The legend references a sixth floor, room 669, but the building the professor fell from only has four floors. Wait a minute. So the brothers pass by a very handsome and dashing janitor. I Honestly, it's written like that, and I had to read it, and it made me throw up a little bit in my mouth. Who mentions that he saw the professor go upstairs with Hold a young on, girl. Hold on, you skipped a part. You saw, come on now, I'm reading the same thing. You skipped it. The, bo- the brothers pass a very handsome and dashing janitor who looks like he was poured into those coveralls. Go on. Well, yeah, who looks a little bit old to be cast as a younger janitor, but whatever. <laughs> 
who mentions he saw the professor go upstairs with a young girl. Things start to get weird when a frat guy claims to have been abducted and probed, probed by aliens. Later, a researcher at the university who experiments on animals is killed by a sewer alligator. Classic Yik. urban legends seem to be happening for real. Anything at this point, Rich? I'm still hung up on that dashing uh, janitor. <laughs> You're like, I hope we go back by. to the janitor. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, I was like, oh, it's a nice day player role. <laughs> well, while all this is escalating, Sam and Dean start bickering. Feeling they aren't making progress, they call Bobby for help. Bobby arrives at the motel where the boys explain... Bobby quickly realizes that they're dealing with a trickster, one of the greatest characters wow. in all of supernatural lore. That is so true. Let's pause here and talk about how great that character is. Do we have to? Because that's one of those characters that you go, that's my point, is that you kind of feel like, well, this show is now a Sam Dean trickster show. Like, that's what this should be. That's what we're setting up here. Are we? I mean, if you say so. They surmise that the trickster must be that handsome janitor from the beginning. The one with the cut jaw who looked all ripped, like he was had that coverall just spray-painted on, that one? Jeez. Uh, the brothers can't believe that such a handsome, charming, confident man could be behind this, but they finally acquiesce. Uh, he, he does seem, when I watch this, he does seem a little hot to be in this mess. You know what I, I mean? I just it kept, seems like he's such a smoke show. He could I just be kept other thinking, man, he's old. He must be near death. The trickster witnesses his pursuers having an argument, and the trickster comes up with a plan to make an offer to one of the brothers that that brother can't refuse. Hmm. Dean is able to resist his generous offer of a comforting night with two ladies. Yeah. Suddenly, Dean's two accomplices, Bobby and Sam, arrive and attack the trickster, forced to Which defend— seems weird if he just offered up a lovely evening with two gorgeous uh, women. That seems weird to me that Dean wouldn't accept that. Yeah, but they know. They know what you are. They know what you really are. Forced are. to defend himself, the trickster conjures a maniac with a chainsaw to attack Sam and Bobby. That was a good one. Then the handsome trickster, jeez, oh, the handsome trickster watches with amusement. In the chaos, Sam tosses Dean a stake, which he quickly drives into the handsome trickster's heart. Oh my God. Bobby, Sam, and Dean leave the building, satisfied they did their job. Inside the building, the handsome trickster's body starts to disappear as the real trickster approaches, what? eating a chocolate bar, his signature move. Chocolate! Happy he tricked the hunters into killing his illusion, though camera lingers on his rakish, weird, creepy <laughs> smile. Wow. <laughs> what a review. I mean, what a, a summary. Well, let's, let's, let's dive into the review here. Stapleton Sweet. on a Stapleton. If Chris Stapleton's beard had a fake beard on it that was modeled after his own Stapleton beard, Stapleton on a Stapleton, and it was stapled on, that's my review. A Stapleton stapled onto a Stapleton. You know, people say a lot of things about you, Richard Spade, but small ego isn't one of them. No, listen, first time I'd seen this episode, a lot's been talked about it. I feel like I'd seen it. I was like, yeah. oh, I know this episode, but I hadn't. I hadn't really sat down to watch this episode. Great work from a young Richard Spade Jr. You really see, it's one of those things where you, you, you know, I'm, I'm taking myself, I'm, I'm looking at it as if I'm watching and don't know any of you. You right away, you can see why it's, it's the same thing you feel when you see, when you saw um, Gabe Tigerman. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to see this guy again. You know, you, you instantly like what you're up to and it's such a fun character. And I like the whole, the way that they did the whole, uh, what do you call that? Rashomon? Although I, I realize that it's really not Rashomon, but yes. What is they, Rashomon? Rashomon is the same story told by multiple perspectives. 
Which, what does that you know, come from, Rashomon? The movie, the movie Rashomon. I don't know that. It's a reference to the movie Rashomon, which is sort of the movie that is the first movie to, to do that style of filmmaking, uh, where it's a uh, a film that tells the same story, and you and you learn more about what's going on in the story by watching the various perspectives to f- see if you can find out the truth. I thought it was a Muslim holiday. Uh, Rosh Hashanah, I think is. Uh, no, that's a Jewish holiday. Ramadan. There you go. That's what I thought it was. Um, it's an um, Akira Kurosawa film, by the way. That's sort of like, it, you know, right. for film buffs, that's, it's like a high watermark in, in storytelling because of its sure. multiple. It's a Japanese a, movie. Yeah, different culture. And then it's sort yeah. of multifaceted, right. uh, multi-perspective way of telling the story. Right. Well, um, anyway, to go back to my review, uh, thanks for that Google uh, update. But I, I, had to I, look up, I had to look up Kurosawa. I was like, oh, I forgot the director. And I feel like yeah, a little boob here. Yeah, he's a real, he's a classic uh, Japanese filmmaker. So, so. You're great. It's great. The Rashomon thing that's not Rashomon was great. Um, it's a classic. It's a freaking classic. And it's its its always on the top 20 list, top 15, top 10 of uh, many Supernatural fans. I'll be able to say it's the one. That's just your list, which you keep reposting. <laughs> so anyway, I loved it. Loved you in it. And I get a, the full 70s Kenny Loggins. Nice. I got a Loggins and a Stapleton stapled onto a Stapleton. Um, <laughs> by yourself. Hey, if you can't love yourself, Robbie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So listen, our first guest is a man uh, that you might know from- uh, I'm excited about this one. His three credits. That's it. Ernest Goes to Camp. I loved it. Demonic Toys. A National Treasure. And one episode of Matlock. Ladies and gentlemen. Again, the the episode of Matlock. A lot of people call it the episode of Matlock. (laughs) Richard Spate Jr., Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. It's a thrill to be here. So excited to have you. Um, I'm so excited to, to be here. I carved out a little time for this. This is not my usual ritual, but it's such an honor to finally be invited to be a part of this podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. This is just great. Well, it was really hard to get you, and um, you know, we it was we had to go through lots of channels, but we just we know we only have you for a short time. But just thank were you the, so much. Were, were those changing channels? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so describe for our listeners what Matlock was. Matlock was a scintillating, uh, cutting-edge legal drama that starred a young up-and-comer of the time, Andy Griffith. And right. uh, he had just, I mean, he was, sparks were flying whenever that man was on set, sure. grilling uh, defendants uh, and really a prosecutor for the people, we called him. Yeah. Uh, and he, he changed the, the way the legal profession is viewed. Is, he's, he's an Atticus Finch's Atticus Finch. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. And is that late 80s? That was 1946. TV had just... <laughs> we weren't quite color yet. Right, but we had done sound. We were, we were just getting into the talkie version of entertainment. But in all, in all seriousness, how old were you when you did Matlock? Because that was a show I was in from college. I was in college. Yeah. I was a, like a sophomore in college. Like, I think it was like you're, 1990. I always forget that about you, that you're like uh, Corey Feldman. You were a child actor. Shirley Temple. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm very much a child actor. Um, a child Sorry, star. And <laughs> Shirley Temple. <laughs> a child star, really. Yeah, you um, were. A big, big young career as a young mm-hmm. man. And uh, and uh, that's why that's what has led to this gilded life I lead. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, okay, so 
what was uh, what was it? I've heard you tell some of these stories before on stage, but tell the listeners that haven't heard it. What was your intro? Now, you this was an offer. They called you and they said, hey, we want you to play this role. Right. And did you know the show at all at this point? Never heard of the show. True story. I got an offer. My agent called and said, hey, they, they want you. You got a phone call to play a janitor on a, on a TV show. And I said, great. Yes. The answer is yes, because I was not uh, fielding a bunch of offers in those days. I usually had to audition for stuff. So th- yeah. that was such a cool and refreshing event that I'm like, yeah, man, thrilled. I didn't realize that I wasn't just a janitor janitor until I was flying to Vancouver and had the script in my hand and read it on the plane. And I was like, oh. So what did you think? You've told that story before. And now, yeah. And now I'm like, wait, what, like, how did you, what did you think the part was? Playing a janitor. I didn't know what Supernatural was. I figured, oh, I'm like the guy they think did the crime, but I didn't do the crime. Or I'm the guy who did the crime, but you don't realize that till the act four or whatever, you know. Wow. And, and, and that's how, I mean, now I guess you get this. Yeah. You, you might get the script just a few days before, but yeah, that's how little we know as guest stars. So then you get it and you read it and you realize you're not just a happy, happy go lucky janitor. You're actually the trickster. Right, man. And, uh, and I had, I was a trickster and I was like, oh, this is kind of a fun episode. It leans a little more on the humor side. And again, this is another story I've told, but once I realized that I thought, okay, this will be, I don't really know the show. I haven't watched this show. But when I get up there, all my questions will be answered because we'll do a table read. We'll have a conversation. I'll get a sense of the whole vibe. And so we go up to the show, to the production office, and we did a table read. And, and Eric Kripke was on speakerphone and probably John, the writer, and probably Bob. But they were all on, speaker, on the speakerphone in the middle of the table. And it was Jared Jensen, um, Tom... Oh, gosh, I can't draw a blank on his name, but the young man who played the guy who danced with the aliens. Okay. And myself and Brad May, the director. And we did a table read. And then after the table read, literally the only adjective Eric Kripke used to describe anything was supernatural. And I kid you not. So I was so confused. He was like, okay, guys, I know this isn't your typical supernatural episode. So let's have some supernatural fun with it. But be sure to keep the supernaturalness there. And I want you to be sure. That, and I'm like, you, I'm like, I need something other than the word supernatural to describe this thing because I'm not coming off, uh, you know, a season and a half of knowing what the hell we're doing. And it was r- really funny to me. I'm like, this is almost like they're pranking me because they're not using any adjectives or nouns other than supernatural. There's a supernatural-esque vibe to this one, so keep that in mind. But then we'll, <laughs> we'll veer off that a little bit to have like a, a sort of yeah, hyper-supernatural feel. And then we'll come back down to sort of the supernatural, you know, ground floor. I'm like, what are we doing? What kind of show is this? And meanwhile, Bradford May, it was his first episode. So he hadn't done four, you know. Right. And I was like, this is going to be really interesting. And the first thing I shot day one was me sitting in the auditorium, like the most talking I do. Oh. So the biggest thing I did was the. The reveal. The, that day. Yeah. So, and the first angle was on me. They started on me. Day one, shot Whoa. one. Whoa. And I remember going, well, I I have an idea of what this is. I'm just going to do Go this thing. Yeah. yeah. Because there's like some, it's all scripted, but there's also some improv stuff like where I have to like be watching what's happening to Dean on the bed. And I'm just making all that up and doing you know, a series of reactions. And, and I just remember doing all these things going, man, I hope I'm in the ballpark here. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And it's classic sort of, 
TV where you're not getting a ton of notes from the director, really, which is just sort of the way that job goes when you're a guest actor. And uh, yeah, I remember thinking, I'm just throwing it against the wall here. Yeah. I hope uh, something sticks. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, it really is like it's it. And and the thing is, it does work and it's not like anything we've seen yet. So you're kind of created it, creating it. What you're doing is then becomes the standard for what that tone is for this show. Well, it became, it was cool, man. And that, that like what we always say, uh, we've been interviewing people for a season and a half of podcasts here and people have heard us talk to Brad Kreiser and Robin Props and all these people. And we all say, oh, day one, you were so cool. But the fact matter is day one, they were very cool. I can not really tell you the name of a lot of people I worked with as a guest star, but right after that episode had, I could tell you Jeannie Chow's name. I could tell you Brad Creaser. I could tell you Robin props. I still don't know Robin props last name because she keeps changing it. So it's props <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But like, because I was spitting a candy bar into a bucket between takes, she and I bonded immediately. And it was uh, just a, such funny. a nice, friendly group that like immediately you got on with people, Lou Bolo, like immediately you got on with people out of the yeah. gate that, made that show so unlike most shows. You just don't come away with a couple of phone numbers in your phone from the experience. It just doesn't happen. And it it happened on that show. And I think that also manifests itself in a guest star, me, later you, later Mark Pellegrino and everybody else, feeling comfortable to do their job because they feel the support of the group around them. It's not like, oh, who's the new guy? I don't know. Let's let's pound him out of here so we can focus on number one and number two. That's not how they focus there. Right. That's not how they play ball. They really do give everybody their equal time. When I was doing my takes, it wasn't like they plowed through them really fast. I got no. my shot to do my thing. Yeah. And uh, a lot of respect, a lot of respect given to the guest stars. And everything you said just now is really true, except I disagree with the fact that every job you do, you walk away with phone numbers. You're just that kind of guy. You just, you walk away with like two or three best for new votes, new votes, <laughs> new, new votes for office. You, you might not be wrong. I, I am a little bit that type of guy, but I will say this back this is going back a while, right? Like, so we're 17 years or 15. Well, right. we, we barely have cell phones at this 17 point. years ago. Yeah. It was yeah. not that tight. It wasn't true. the keep in touch era as much. True, true, true. Absolutely. Um, so do you remember meeting J and J? Do you remember what's your meeting J- Jared and Jensen's story? Um, I remember meeting them at the, um, I remember meeting them going to the table read. Cause I oh, was, yeah. By, by the way, table read at supernatural. Like we'd never, know, right? Yeah. Did you ever do that? No. I think, it, I think it petered out shortly thereafter, but they were still wow. doing them then. And I went to the office, the, the production office, and they were obviously shooting a different episode and kid come, were coming over to do mm-hmm. this. And Jared had stolen an alien head that oh my God. went up about yay high. And he had put <laughs> it on and he was sprinting through the halls, I think being chased by crew members or by Jensen, I can't remember. But he's obviously already 6'4". With the alien head, he's about 6'9". Oh, my God. And he was sprinting through, running up and down the halls, you know. And I immediately knew, well, this is the lead guy in the show because you have a bunch of, you know, grips. And then you have a runway model. You're like, well, that guy's probably the actor here. (laughs) And he's running around. And then Jensen's chasing him. And they're sweaty and goofing around and sprinting back and forth. And I remember thinking... These are either fun-loving guys or idiots. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Um, both are true. But it turns out both are true. Because I didn't know if they were going to be like, you know, man, I, you know, this is just the honest truth. I go into a situation like that where I'm doing a show that has two, you know, dashing leads. And it wasn't my first rodeo. I've been doing it for a decade. Yeah. And I'm like, I know, the, I know the, the, you know, how the road is paved. I'm like, these guys are either going to be complete and utter douchebags or they're not. Mm-hmm. And I always assume douchebag. 
That sure. way I don't get my feelings hurt. I don't get, you know, I just kind of say to myself and don't put myself out there so that I don't get mowed over or put down or, you know, belittled in some way that so many lead actors like to do. Yeah. Um, and that's just the ugly truth of it. That's, yeah. the, that's the life of a guest star is usually getting sort of knocked around a little bit. You kind of have sure. to just roll the punches and go with it. And I just assumed this would be that. Um, yeah. And the table read, I didn't really have an opinion either way. They were they, uh, they were fun and goofing around. So I'm like, well, that's cool. They look like they're having fun with each other. But I didn't really talk to them. Hmm. Interesting. We ended up talking. My conversations with them were, um, they, came, we, they sort of met a makeshift green room over there at the campus where we were doing that first day of shooting. And we ended up talking a little bit of football because USC and Texas were big rivals back then. I went to USC and they went to, or they didn't go to UT, but they were UT fans. Right. Um, Is it I true you I, watched a Cowboys game? Later on, they ended up, once they realized I liked football, because like, I think Vince Young had just beaten USC in the national championship or something along those lines where it had been a big deal. And so we were talking about that and they were lording that over me. And then later on in our in our life on the show, they knocked on the trailer door and invited me to come in and watch a little bit of a Dallas game on TV, which I thought was incredibly friendly. Again, not the normal guest star treatment. Very friendly. Not right. unique to me. They were like that to everybody, but I didn't know that at the time. And I thought that was really remarkable. The other thing, the the moment that I always found remarkable or that is, that is memorable for me in our meeting was that they're, they're so tall. And so that's tall. just not common in the world of actors. It's just yeah. not, you know, and yeah. I, at the same time I did that show, I was working on Jericho and Jericho had a couple of tall people. Skeet Ulrich is not short. Oh, really? Um, Brad Byers kind of tall. Yeah. There's some kind of tallish guys in the six feet, mm. six, but not six, four, you know, no. like, but they're right. tall. So I'm, I've been, yeah. but the show I was currently doing, I was like, Oh, these I'm around tall guys. Then yeah. I go to this show and I'm like, mother, holy crap. Yeah. Where they literally had to put me on an Apple box to be in a three shot with everybody, which I'd never yeah. had before. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm Mr. Apple box. Yeah. And I'm not tall. I'm five, eight. So it's not like I'm used to being as tall as people. I'm used to being shorter than people, but yeah. not that was dramatic. And I, and I remember going to one point sitting in the chair and you know, again, I wasn't joking around these dudes very much. They were very polite, very nice guys. I was polite back and that was our rapport, but I was sitting in the chair and Jensen was sitting there and we were there for a while. And I said, just to break the silence, I said, Hey, you know, nothing for nothing, but you MFers are tall. Like it's a real trip. Cause you, you know, you could, you've been in TV and film for a while. You don't see a lot of tall guys, especially two of them. And he's like, yeah, dude. And I'm, he goes, I'm six one and I'm the short one. He's like, it's, it's yeah. strange. He's like, yeah. you know, we, at that point, again, social media was not a thing. So they had Supernatural Magazine and Teen Beat and all the crap that they, they were being featured in. And he said, people will look at Jared and their brain will immediately make him 5'10". Like that's, right. you kind of go, well, he's probably, my, without even knowing a number, you just think he's your buddy in college's height. He's clearly a tall guy. He's 5'10", maybe 5'11". He's like, so they think I'm 5'7". Right. <laughs> he's like, yeah. they, 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 he's like, I'm referred to as the short one in the magazines. Yeah. And he's like, it's strange for me because I've always been kind of a, considered a tall guy. And they yeah. put on those, those Dean and Sam boots, which yeah. just for the people at home were not flip-flops. You know, they were- right. They gave him another inch and a half. Yeah, marching boots. So- and they weren't giving me any lifts, you know. So no. I went from I went from five eight to five eight and an eighth, and they went from six one to six two and a half, and six four to six five and a half for those. Yeah, shoes yeah. On. So yeah, I remember remarking uh, about that to Jensen, and Jensen remarking about what that experience was like in the in so much as the way he was perceived. 
Right. B- based on standing next to Jared every day on screen. I thought that was right. interesting. Was there, is there a line that you have in this episode? I swear you say something that's very Richard, like, like nothing for nothing. I feel like you have a little like Nashville type, little like colloquialism in, in the beginning of the, when you're, sh- you're walking up the stairs and you're showing them, they come back to you after the first scene, they come back to you and you sh- you're showing them. So I think it's when they're on to you and you, you, you walk them up the stairs and then, and then, and then Sam hides somewhere. And I swear you say something like nothing for nothing. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I do, but I can't remember if I made it up or not. Like, I, yeah, I don't should I? I got to I, I gotta go back and, and I, I got to go back and, and watch. I should have, I don't take notes anymore, but I, I should should have taken notes. But uh, there's something thing? very Richard about that moment, I thought. Um, I did have some improv was, in that show, but not a ton. Like, I mean, it's very possible I could have added that in one of the takes. There was a lot of improv in that in that auditorium room, but, but I don't remember, I don't remember specifically that, that moment. Well, there's so much, you know, it's a great role for you because the, you have that little smile that your son Frank has. It's that same sort of like uh, smile where could, you can charm a room, but also be fooling them at the same time. You know, you're up to something, you're up to something, you know, it's that what you just did. Um, was there's so much comedy in the episode. Was there a lot of laughing on set? Do you remember being sort of a jokey set? No, I remember it being a light set in that we weren't doing heavy drama, so the crew was lighter. And I think that facilitated my ability to meet and bond with the crew is that we could sort of joke around a little bit. Right. We had a lot of bad weather, too, which kind of slowed down shooting some, so you'd have to oh. sit around time. Wow. I just remember also Jensen did his own stunt leaping onto the bed. Like, he did his own land on the springboard and land on the bed. I remember thinking that oh, was wow. cool. It was kind of light, you know, which you can only do if you're not pressed for time. You know, you can try to do those things. Well, he's probably and, trying to impress those ladies. Well, that's and I have said, I think one of the only other times, only other things I said to him at any point was, you know, not a bad day at the office. <laughs> you, know, like, like, you know, his job was to leap up and be beaten senseless by two actresses who were, who were lo- lovely people, but also lovely physically. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, not not a bad way to go to work, I guess, if you're yeah, Jensen Ackles. Yeah, sure. What was your favorite scene to shoot? Probably the whipped cream with the ladies. <laughs> no, that honestly, dude, I was so, for all the joking we have, I felt so uncomfortable being in boxers and a t-shirt. Like, I just totally. wanted a moron. Yeah. Especially when those dudes are also on the show. You're like, oh, God. I know. Um, I, I got the joke of it all, and it was fun. But I, uh, I, I don't know why that kind of stuff just makes you uncomfortable. I'm, I'm a, I'm a somewhere in my DNA. I, it's 1953, and I'm like, ah, my knees are showing. Look, dude, it's never, it's never comfortable to be in that situation on set. I don't think that ever gets comfortable. Yeah. So, but so no, my favorite was the honestly the day one, the stuff of like the, when the when the trickster part comes out, when I'm no longer hiding anything and I'm just being snarky and the I like you man you know we could we could do business and all the all the stuff I have with Jensen and re- the reveal of Sam and Jim Bieber trying to kill me or Bobby Singer trying to kill me and and all that I think that was my favorite part yeah and I was also yeah. fascinated by it I remember going like how are they doing me walking up on me and watching them how do this move and then re- replicate the move and I'm like oh, how did cool. they do that the old school way of like camera repetition you know the sort of like they do the move I leave and I then walk forward as you know with a non-bloody version of myself looking right. down and they pan up and there I am. They had a body Amazing. double, like a sort of a guy yeah. to be in the gray coveralls um, right. for one piece, but that was the bit. And I remember going, Oh, that's cool how how they're making this. Yeah. Um yeah, I I, I that was my favorite because that was the loosest I got to be. Uh-huh. And again, I felt like 
it was going okay. Again, it wasn't like I, I got a round of applause, but you just kind of, you know how you can read a room oh, and you feel like what I'm yeah. doing is working and Jensen was really cool about it. And yeah. I think we had a you know a couple of chuckles at some stuff that I was yelling at him. And yeah, I'm sure there's some fun outtakes, not outtakes like bloopers, but Lord knows what I said. Just because I was yeah. saying anything, trying to not filter myself so they could cherry pick oh, fun cool. comments of them beating each other up. That's cool. That, that was my favorite day. And because of the bad weather, we were there a long time. I remember it being like, uh, that's how I ended up getting to know Jeannie better because you're just kind of sitting around and right. chatting with people. And it, it was cool. Right. When, so in the script, it's it's obviously in the script that you come back. And it's, I didn't honestly put this together until just now we were doing the synopsis. So you're the trick, the ultimate trick is that the trickster wasn't even the real you. Right. You can, you like, the trickster can project his persona elsewhere. So that you're you're seeing like you know when they they finally stab me I just tricked them into thinking they're stabbing me and then can show up later right right I guess I just I just I thought maybe you just can't kill the trickster so he kind of comes back I didn't realize that that the joke is this joke on a joke basically so and at this point you obviously didn't you know we know now that you went on to become Gabriel and, and they didn't even call him Loki at this point right no um but you finish the script you're on the plane you finish the script. And it says to be continued. Did you think there's a chance you'd come back? Uh, dude, I fell for it like every guest star ever fell for it in Supernatural. The fact that it says to be continued on it, and you've already made reference at one point that you had this experience. Of yeah. course I had that experience. I'm like, to be continued? And I'm alive? And you're alive, Oh, yeah. man. It, of course, I was complete. I thought I was going to be in the next one. I thought, you yeah. know, I just read it as to, to be continued usually means we pick up that story where we left off. Yeah. And I thought, oh, dope, man. I'm going to score another episode here. Crickets. Yeah. Just crickets. Yeah. Tumbleweeds. Yeah. You know, nothing. And then did you think, and then what? Then did you think like, oh, I guess that was it then? Yeah. I just assumed that was it. And then when I when I found out from, so I didn't know who my inside friend was who got me the job until later when Guy B, who was directing Jericho, showed me the crew list and I saw Bob Singer's name. I'm like, oh, Bob Singer must be the reason why I'm doing this because I had done a pilot for him. Uh, in London that had been an awesome experience but hadn't gotten picked up. And I thought, oh, well, Bob Bob must be the friendly face here who who gave me the, the job. So I emailed Bob to say, I believe I have you to thank for this experience, and it was an awesome experience. And this is a while later. So this is not the day I landed, okay? This okay. Is, we're talking... A few months later. Oh, yeah. Where, exactly. And he said, glad you had a good experience because we're thinking about bringing you back. I'm like, oh, cool. And that was right before they did the uh, mystery spot episode, I think. So, I mean, I'm telling you, I think I probably emailed Bob months later and heard back from him months later. Like, it wasn't like a quick exchange. Right. Well, uh, then you, and you don't come back till season four. It's, it's, it's right to my point. So, no, I, do, I, I don't do season four. I come back in season three, no season four, and then I'm back oh, in you, season five. Oh, see, I didn't know this. You're in season three. Yeah. What, what's in season three? Mystery spot. That's mystery spot. Okay. And then season five is uh, is uh, changing channels, right? And were there any others in this point at this? I don't think so. No, you're in three for the first five seasons. You're in three episodes. Pretty sure that's right. I, okay, yeah, I think I should, yeah. I should have I should have researched that. But that's uh, yeah, fine. It's fine. We'll, ah. we'll, we'll we'll ask the guy who actually played the part. Um, so, <laughs> you uh, know the, the the multitude of things we've said out here that are wrong. Like you t you said <laughs> you announced the death of some actor from. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, yeah. Most of the chagrin of the man who's yeah. not dead. Or the um, or the tweet we got that said that he's actually very much alive. <laughs> yeah. 
um, and doing great. Okay, I'm last. I know we could we can talk forever, and uh, we have a whole, whole other interview to do. But um, my last question is: You, Richard Spate, at this point, had you done? Had you directed that movie, North Beach? I had. Okay, so you have directing sort of in your purview. Did did you did you ever did you ever think you would direct episodic television? Yeah, I had hoped. My thought was, you know, you and I are sort of very parallel in our in our journeys and that like I'd been a regular on shows. I'd been a recurring character on shows. And my thought was, well, one of these shows will last beyond a season or two seasons. And when it gets its tailwind, I'll be able to segue into being part of the team that directs that show. That's just always what I thought. I thought, yeah. well, I, I'll end yeah. up, you know, the agency or, you know, right. the uh, Jericho. One of these shows right. will, will continue to go or some sitcom I was doing, and I'll, right. and I'll segue that way. And it just it was just later, as the years went on, I realized, mm, I'm going to have to find a different right. a different portal to enter this world uh, because that doesn't seem to be happening. So, yeah. yes, I, my eyes were already on that prize, but not on Supernatural. I mean, certainly not a show that I'd done one episode of. Right, right. Now, if you could go back from a directing standpoint, is there anything you would have done different with this episode? Oh, interesting question. I don't think so, only because... You kind of live and die by making the by not overthinking the decisions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I say, it kind of go. I look at what I did. All pretty crisp, clear decision making going on there. It all works. I, I would live with it all. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I also think it's like it's so hard to think back to that and go. Sure. Well, at my age, I'm different. I have a different perspective now. Would I do it differently? I don't know. Maybe. But overall, when I watch it, I I think like the show itself, it holds up pretty well the relationship yeah. with the characters and the character execution. So, really uh, does. no, I think, I think I would, I, I think I'll, I'll keep it in the vault as it is. All right. You heard it here, folks. Rich approves of Rich's episode. Um, <laughs> well, Rich, thanks for coming on. It was really a joy having you. It was great. And you can just send the check to my agent and, uh, they'll yeah, send it to we'll, me. We'll take care of all that off, off, uh, off mic. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks. Richard Spade, everybody. Ahoy. Rich Spade here. Hope you're enjoying the episode. But we got to pull over for a second for some messages. You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. A place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. 
The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance, and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic, and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress, and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust, or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit SeekAnomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. Thanks for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now, back to the show. Wow, Rob, that was a great interview. I mean, that was just a great interview. You were very quiet. You didn't ask any questions. I just, I was just, I was fascinated. I felt like I was a (laughs) schoolgirl at a a JT concert. I just couldn't take my eyes off the screen. Um, He was just so, uh, first of all, you could just swim in those eyes. And secondly. (laughs) You can find them. Yeah, you you can certainly swim in that mustache. <laughs> um, it was uh, no great interview. I was fascinated to watch you do that interview and not throw up in your mouth at all. That was cool to see. I'd never well, seen I'm a gag. professional, so I hide that really well. I only did three times. Uh, no, I, I I really did enjoy. Uh, you know, I love you, and I love your work, and I um and you're awesome in this episode. And it's this is the OG. This is Rich in his very first episode of Supernatural. It's uh, it was it's a classic. Well, thanks, man. I do think it's it's fun to go back, and it'll the journey will be fun when we get to your episode as well to sort of see the origin story of that character and that person in that character. Yeah. Um, because you know, without question, and this is, I mean. Someplace we got to get Robert Ulrich on here to talk about the casting. Casting, process. yeah. But dude, you're perfectly cast in your role. I was right. perfectly cast As in this you. role. Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, like, it's, you know, even when I got it and I realized, oh, I'm not a janitor, I'm this guy. At no point was I like, oh shit, I'm a Boston right. sure. dock worker. What am I going to do? I don't no, have a Boston perfect. accent. I read this, I'm like, oh, this is my shtick, man. This is my, yeah. this is where I sing. Right. And so, I'd- like, you know, it's like it's you wonder like how does that magic matchup happen because it doesn't always work, right? It, it just doesn't. Right. right. It's funny uh, to me that Bob Singer, who we're going to interview, mm-hmm. how he thought I'd be right for this role, given the fact that the pilot we had done together, I played an alcoholic World War II medic. Wow! Like yeah. not the funny guy in the platoon. Yeah. Not you know, like I, it was a very southern alcoholic medic. This to me is more what you're really like. I mean, I've been the victim of the tricks, the real life trickster now for about 15 years. Um, but yeah, to me, this is a little bit more what you are, that little sort of sly, loving, but sneaky. Um, well, let's get into that Bob Singer interview, hey? Let's do it. Here he is, the maestro, Bob Singer. All right, we're talking about tall tales and we've got once again 
executive producer, director, showrunner, and really the heart and heart and soul of Supernatural. Yeah, Bob Singer on the show. Bob, hello. There he is. Hi guys. Hi Bob. Listen, sorry to waste your time. I know this is kind of a throwaway episode that no one really talks about much. <laughs> But, do, well, here's my first question. Do you remember casting Richard Spate Jr.? I, I try to forget <laughs> that. Um, Some mistakes live to haunt us. Richard and I worked on a pilot that I directed uh, before Supernatural called Sam Circus. In addition to uh, Richard really being great in, in, in that show, um, Richard and I really hit it off well, I think. <laughs> still, um, still out. <laughs> Not quite sure. Yeah. Actors out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it, it just may be an actor sucking mm-hmm. up. I'm not sure if it was that or if he actually really liked me. <laughs> um, but in any case, when when Tall Tales came up, you know, I thought of Richard, and Richard has a pretty long list of credits, interestingly enough. And uh, yeah, it was an easy yeah. choice. So he, we we thought he was perfect for it. Yeah. Now, we didn't know it was going to go on for years and years exactly. the way it did. Yeah, you had you were had you been able to factor that in. Wait, so and so the director of this episode is Bradford May, is that right? Yeah. And do you remember what what he was like, Rich, working with him? I do. I mean, I don't know how Bradford May. Bradford May had been the producing director on Wildfire, which interestingly enough was uh, Genevieve Padalecki's show that she was the star of oh. for years and years. Bradford May also his cousin Mike May was the A camera operator on the agency, which is a series I did for a couple of years that Miller Tobin directed that we just were talking right. about. And Bradford May was this big personality, like larger than life guy who I remember his catchphrase was ding ding my champions, which I think I think meant hurry up. I can't I don't wow, really funny. remember. But to this day, Brad Creaser and some of the the lifers would use ding ding my champion as a as a moment to, well, I think make fun of that moment, but nonetheless, funny. They, they were, they remember it, you know? Wow. How did, how did you, Bob, how did Bradford May get involved in the show? Brad, uh, I go so far back with Brad that when I was an associate producer on a movie called Burnt Offerings back in the seventies, I guess, Brad was a camera department guy. He was uh, like the second assistant cameraman on that show. So I, I knew Brad that far back. Brad did a number of midnight callers for me, even then larger than life. A lot of, um, you know, catchphrases, uh, no cheese ball, not going to shoot any cheese. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, ding, ding, my champions uh, came later, I Funny. guess. But I was that Brad was pretty talented. I think by the time he got to do Supernatural, because I really hadn't worked with him in, in a number of years, uh, I think he'd gone off the deep end a little bit with uh, his... <laughs> Well, his stuff with being my champions, but you know it was a good episode, and Brad knows what he's doing. But he's um, he, he to paraphrase Levon Helm, he's an adult portion. <laughs> Fair. Um, so we're now halfway through season two, and Bobby Singer has been back for back-to-back episodes, Born Under a Bad Sign, and now Tall Tales. Was there a conscious point where you guys were like, "Hey, we want to keep bringing Bobby back, bringing Jim Beaver back"? Was that a conscious thing? Or was just, you kind of needed him, needed that voice? Well, I can't think of any of the, uh, whether it was Richard or Jim Beaver or, or Mark, these were all one-offs to begin with. But whenever, uh, Charlie was a good example of that. Whenever we had a character that was like a one-off that we thought really right. scored, and we said, well, we, we got to find ways to bring those people right. back. Chuck, um, characters like. Well, yes, yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah, that's a reach. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, in the case of uh, of Jim, you know, who would also I had worked with 
many times and was, you know, it was just a reach out for Jim. I think he served a, uh, you know, a really great purpose in the kind of overarching uh, story of, uh, of Supernatural because, you know, he kind of came in as this father figure and it was always good for the boys to have a, a place to go to. And I think his house was the first permanent set we actually had. Oh, wow. I mean, for the first number, you know, until we built the uh, Men of Letters, I think the only permanent set was um, was Bobby Singer's house. <laughs> so. and, it, and it really does add such a good element. And I was saying in the last episode that we did that he's, I love his street smarts. Like you can't pull a fast one by Bobby. Like he, in the last episode, when Sam goes to his house and Sam's possessed, Bobby immediately gets it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Jim is, you know, the thing about Jim is he's one of those actors uh, and he was always this way when I worked with him on uh, Reasonable Doubts. It doesn't matter what you give him. Every line is honest. He he just has that ability as an actor. Yeah. I mean, he can make he can make a bad line palatable. Yeah, yeah he does have that that grounded everyman sort of. Yep. Uh, you know, I I don't want to say good old boy, but it kind of tips to that direction. Sort of his his middle America roots sort of shine through in a really effective way. I think. Yeah, he's just he's just honest, you know. I mean, that's um that's such a good quality in an actor. I think, you know, I, I mean, without blowing smoke up your keisters, you know, you guys have that as well. You know, you just every line comes out honest. And that's um that's that's always something I look for in actors, you know. Yeah. Um, right. And I and I think it also it, for Bobby's for Jim Beaver's involvement as Bobby. It he seemed to fill a nice gap in that there's such a paternal missing paternal figure through line in the show that he steps into that that role sort of as a surrogate coach or, or or male figure that the boys sort of are wanting yeah absolutely and you know and you know a character that no, no problem putting him putting them in their place exactly the fact that that character is called bobby singer i was in canada directing and this part came up and eric thought it would be cute to call the character bobby singer and I went, oh, God, you know, but then I was like, all right, it's for one episode. Fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, just, it turns out to be what it is. A friend of mine from New York calls me up, you know, and I don't even think he, he watched the show very much, but he calls me up and he goes, I don't know who you are anymore. <laughs> You're naming characters after yourself. Really? <laughs> who, who are you? And by the way, this is the gift that keeps giving because isn't he also going by Robert Singer in The Boys? The Boys, yeah. So this is something that there's a story about something fun that was done to the blackboard uh, in the background of a final scene and that standards and practices had to remove it. It said something fun you did with the blackboard. Me? Well, I don't know. It says you. It's this. The- I, have a, I have a feeling that as a guest star, I probably wasn't doing much fun on the blackboard right. in the background. You know, huh. it's... Doesn't sound like a Bob Singer not to get fired. Doesn't sound like no. I didn't think Bob Singer would have done it, but I think I thought I wondered if Bob remembered what it was. Uh, I don't know. I I don't, but it sounds like Jared. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not the guest star who thinks he's never coming back to go. Like you know what I'll do? I'll I'll jerk around and screw up the scene for everybody. That'll be hilarious. Or the executive producer who's not directing the episode. Excuse me, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The standard stuff, the people that standards would catch, it was it, it always amazed us. You know, they, they would come up with stuff that we didn't even realize we had done. Maybe some sort of sexual innuendo that was unintended and then they would flag it. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, that job of uh, 
is I don't know anybody would go into that job. I mean, that takes a really uh, different kind of personality. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, basically, it's like it's like the school narc. Yeah, I mean, it's not really the it's not the fun guy. Yeah. Like, hey, let's invite the standards and practices guy. He'll be hilarious. Or the parking violation. And they people. would have stuff about logos on cars, and we spent more money getting rid of logos on cars, and then they wanted us initially to take the Chevrolet logo off of a, you know baby baby and we're going that's a character that's a character in the show <laughs> so we won wow. that one but any any car company that was not advertising on the CW they would make us take out the logo on the car wow. you know which of course the you know the visual effects guys always love oh this is this is an exciting piece. Yeah, this yeah. is sexy. Yeah. Can't wait to brag about this one. <laughs> uh, I know they have to do it's that funny with when our they can't... costumes all the time too, right? A lot of people may not know that, but if it shows like a nice Nike symbol or something, you got to like, you know, mark that out. Oh, yeah. No, you, yeah. And, and then they come up with stuff that, you know, really, we we never thought of that. That was, <laughs> you know, what's a, you know, what's a sexual one you there? Go, really? <laughs> che- yeah. Cheese sandwich? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you also, Rob, brought up that point that when you do that, they say, hey, can you Greek that out? Like, hey, can you Greek out that logo? What did the Greeks do to deserve that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, are they known for being a logo-free country? What's going on with that? I think initially where that came from was is that they would, t- you know, take things that, you know, there was a logo and then it would kind of alter it to make it look Greek like some symbol, sort of Greek right. writing. So I think that's came out of oh wow <laughs> it had it has evolved into like a sharpie taking out a swoosh you know like yeah this. right it's because the very first standards and practices guy's name was johnny greek um <laughs> it, it might be you never know <laughs> yeah it was a guy at nbc years ago who was the head of um, standards and practices and i did a couple of shows I, I i met him when i worked at nbc and then i did a couple of shows for nbc and he was just i mean just hard on, you know, violence and this and that, and this is too sexy. It turns out, I won't mention the guy's name, but under a pseudonym, he used to write those dirty novels. What? Uh, where, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. He, he thrust a yeah. sobbing member into her awaiting right. whatever's, you know, and that's what he decided. That's crazy. Side and he was set a standard. Wait, who's getting the standard of practice guy? Yeah, was writing under yeah. a pseudonym as this like dirty fiction writer. No wonder he saw something dirty in everything he saw. That's like that's crazy. that's why, because he, he was a, he was filthy. Oh my god, that's insane. you can't have those people shake hands. We all know what that means. We uh, <laughs> we do. Where are you, Rich? It looks like a um, like a location place. It is a location place. Don't don't all location places have that same like <laughs> at home feel? I'm in I'm in New Orleans, Louisiana. Because I'm gonna, are you doing a Jensen I'm gonna show? do one of the uh, one of the prequels. Yeah. Oh, great! Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, I'll, I'll, I won't ruin it for everybody, so that everybody can come do this job later. Um, it's you know season one show, Bob. Here's a question: When John pitched this show as a in the script form, was it always sort of a Rashomon vibe? Was it always uh, you know, well, this is how I saw it, or this is how he saw it? Sort of, you know, people retell their version of the events and their retelling is always sort of a heightened retelling of the events, like the alien dancing and that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, we didn't think of it like that. We just thought it was kind of a, you know, a cool idea. I don't think we were saying, well, you know, this is our version of Rashomon. Well, sure. uh, I just think it's a, 
this is this is a, a cool idea with a really cool character. Um, it certainly leans into the broad in a, in a way that I'm trying to think of it, if the show had done this before. I mean, it, it's very comedic in its in its execution. I, I think this was was the first one that we did that we stepped outside, I guess, what you could call our comfort zone, and 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 tried to do something funny and 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 you know more lighthearted. I mean, always had there was there was always this element of danger that we wanted to you know keep in the show but this one i think was the first time we said well let's have some fun and it really set the template for for shows to come that you know that we could do that that the cast could handle it yeah. and um, you know and that we could write that and then be happy with it you know and all, all that sort of followed whether it was the french mistake or changing channels or any of those were really this one started that whole right. thing, you know, and some of them were, we said, well, this will either sink us or really <laughs> we'll, we'll hit a home run. And I think they all hit home runs. All those, all those shows that were like that, you know, and Rich, before you became, um, I mean, uh, Rob, before you became yeah. evil, you know, your episodes had a lot of that. For sure. That. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel almost like, uh, yeah, Richard's character kind of set the stage and allowed, you know, the show to kind of go there and it still work. Uh, you know, the show could be wildly funny at times. And I right. think that's one of the things that was really good about this show is that it, you know, like the next episode in this bunch is Roadkill, which then goes very serious and sort of sensitive. So it can kind of go both ways and still work. Yeah, it opened up a whole, really a whole world for us. And, um, you know, without blowing smoke up Richard's behind, I think having an actor like that and, you know, somebody who can play with a twinkle in their eye and just a, a little bit of malevolent fun really carried that episode to where we, we would have liked it to be. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bob. But here's a question for you. So when in watching, we all know, because we, we all know Jensen and Jared, but Jensen especially has great comic timing. You guys, I assume, were kind of discovering that when you, you, cast, you cast this young, handsome guy to play Dean. And as you've done episodes with him in the, in the airplane and all these other ep episodes where you're discovering his humor. And I would assume that helped open this door too. Cause you realized, Oh, our guys also can, they won't be left standing here. Like th they're good at, at navigating this world as well. Is that true? Uh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, the, the, I think the first time we, we dipped our toe there was in Phantom Traveler, which was the airplane episode, which I directed. Right. Um, you could see that the guys could handle it a lot. And, you know, so it was easier for us to, to go there. We didn't, uh, we didn't worry about that. Um, right. But, but I think this episode was the first kind of full bore. Let's really have a lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Bob, thanks so much for, for coming on and talking to us again. Please keep doing this. It really helps to get your words of wisdom around our podcast. And uh, this is especially fun since Richard was actually in the episode. Yeah. But it's also just like, man, I could get you on here, Bob, and talk about Nothing. deli sandwiches. Yeah. Like, it's just a treat to, like, you know, have a conversation with you, man, truly. It's always a pleasure to do this, guys, you know, and since I haven't seen either one of you in person for quite some time. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and I hope we can... Um, well, let's change that. When you're back in Southern California from your... And you're ready. New Mexico, let us know. Yeah, always a pleasure to do this, and, uh, you know... Eugenia keeps saying, when am I going to be a guest? And I said, well, I guess when we get the one that you wrote, but that's probably a little bit down the line. Please give, her, please give her our best. Thank you, guys. Thanks, okay, buddy. buddy. Great seeing you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, there's Jensen. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Uh, but we need to pull over for a second for some messages. And I got to take a leak. Hey. 
Hey guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right. Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game. And it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is it's a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters and you complete missions and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources and then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real-Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means? Free stuff. Free stuff, just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week, you take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user, so please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? What would you do? Would you go for a run, take a nap, read a book, watch Supernatural? Maybe all the above. Or maybe it's that thought that brings in a sense of panic. I mean, the question is, what time for what? If time is unlimited, how do we use it? Sometimes the hardest time for people who work every day is the weekends. When people are faced with a choice, if I've got this free time, what do I do with it? If this rings true for you, maybe therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy for many years now, and I talk openly about it. I still go to therapy um, about once a week, and it's just such a nice time for me to to have that free space to to try to figure out who I am, really, and what I really want and what makes me happy. It's super important and often neglected taking this time. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule. So all you do is you fill out this brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then, oh, get this, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge because they want you to be happy. That's what this is about. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash S-P-N-T-A-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash S-P-N-T-A-N. Thanks for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now, back to the show. What a great interview with Bob. I just love having him, having him on. God. There's nobody cooler than Bob Singer. He's the best. Man, he's hilarious. Uh, he's funny. I wish people could see, and maybe Patreon will get to see, some of the video interviews with Bob, because just his deadpan look before he answers is gold. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. And every time I ask him something, I there's a part of me that dies a little because I'm like, oh, dear God, I hope this hope I this goes over. You know, that one question where he's like, I don't know. I don't know is my answer. I don't know. Uh, I look, well, how about how about me? I, I was like, brought up Rashomon. He's like, it's not like Rashomon. What are you, a moron? <laughs> Uh, but, but ironically, it is like Ramadan. Right. Exactly. Um, well, anyway, the, the interview with Bob was so great and it made up for the lackluster first interview, but, uh, <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. Big, big thanks. On the notes here, it says Bob and Rich are the best. And I Bob and Rich means- are the best. And that's not even written there. Rob just said that from uh, the top of his head. Thanks, Robbie. And of course it's talking about me and you. <laughs> um, no, uh, Bob Singer is, is the best. And, and you and Rich I are is all, and Rich and Rich is the cost. <laughs> <laughs> and Rich is a person. Um, all right, well, let's get into the mythology of this episode. Mythology, mythology. <laughs> okay, you may not know this, but tricksters are very common in many cultures and mythologies around the world. Of course, supernatural fans, and I know you don't know this, but supernatural fans know about Loki, the Norse god of mischief. Actually, that, that's supposed to be the Norse god of Miss Chief. Oh. It's a woman who's married to woman, Mr. Chief. Oh, okay. Miss Chief. Right. <laughs> so wait, are you, um, when did we, when do we start calling you Loki in the, not in to, this? Not till season 13. Oh, really? I, I mean, I don't that. remember that. I always thought they called the tricksters. I mean, they may have called me Loki when I was off screen. I feel like in that, in that, what you and I call the the dark years between episodes <laughs> five and when we came back, uh, for me, it was like, you know, 10 or 11. Uh, I feel like you and I are to ask uh, on, on stage a lot. People are like, well, you were Loki. I feel like that, that was, wasn't a new idea in season 13. I, I always felt like trickster, trickster and Loki are the same thing, right? But Right, but it, it, Loki wasn't said in this episode. I feel no. like, I feel like maybe in season four or five or three, it might sometime. it might have been. Um, hey, we'll find out. I know they called me Loki in uh, Hammer of the Gods. Oh, there's another episode he did in season five. There you before, go. Uh, Hammer of the Gods. That's uh, what it is. Well, that I answer- think I know that when I walk in the room, Odin says Loki. So okay, I know so, that I'm so called this Loki is- there. These are all of our answers. Our questions are being answered right now. And there are fans that have been screaming at the podcast this whole time going, no, he did five episodes or whatever. But I'll tell you what, we still could be wrong. <laughs> like there, there could have been a, a mention True. before that. Well, you know what I'm not wrong about? That other popular tricksters in literature and mythology include Puck or Robin Goodfellow from the English folklore and Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Ah, uh, yes. They even use it. You can say somebody can be Puckish. Doesn't that mean That's they're, right. they're that kind of a person? That's right. Or they really like hockey. What's another trickster from? Well, there's Herme, a Hermes from Greek mythology. Right, which is also, I think, an Italian shoe brand or it clothing is. brand. Hermes. <laughs> I like my Hermes. Who's the Roman mythology version of, of Hermes? Uh, they don't talk about him a lot, but it's Eugene. No, I don't know. Come on. I got to get the Google machine out. Mercury. Mercury. All right. Um, in Japan, there's Suzanu. The storm deity in the Shinto religion is known to prank his siblings. Is that where we get the female name Susan? Yeah. Look at Susan who I know Susan. The storm deity of the Shinto religion is known to prank his siblings. Which is kind of New York for saying like, which Susan are you talking about? Susan who? <laughs> Susan. Susan. Susan who? Hey, I like that Susan who only pranks his siblings. Yeah. As he should. So Dave is like, oh, great. My brother Susan is coming. That's David to you. 
Um, in Nigeria, there is Ishu, who tricked the chief god out of secrets of divination. Hey, honey, have you seen my secrets of divination? <laughs> well, Ishu came by. What? No. God. Crap. Damn it, Ishu. Thanks a lot, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Raven is a trickster in Haida Lore, which is an indigenous American tribe in the Pacific Northwest. Right. Did you know that famed psychologist Carl Jung believed that tricksters were part of a universal collective unconscious due to their frequency across cultures? Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. So Carl maybe you really are. Highfalutin thoughts that you like to share with people. Yeah. And in Los Angeles, they believe that the trickster is an actor named Richard Spate Jr., whose sole purpose was to cause grief to his friend Rob. I was put here to mess with God. That's it. <laughs> Um, all right, fun facts. Fun facts, fun facts, fun, so fun. A purple nurple contains one ounce of coconut rum, one, one ounce of triple sec, uh, one ounce blue Caracal liquor, and two ounces of cranberry juice. You know, that's one uh, thing that we didn't talk about is that that funny, fun little story about him doing shots with the girl. Yeah. And then in the other version, she's completely different, and Sam's really emotional <laughs> in Dean's no, version. It's super funny, and and when we used to do conventions early on, purple nurples were always offered at the bar. Is that right? Like they were told to sort of have purple nurples on hand. Oh, funny! It was a cocktail drink that would be readily available for people. And that, that was weird. really funny. The alien was really funny, and him the guy dancing with the alien, hilarious. Yeah. Matreya Fedor plays the alien, and she played Tyler Thompson in Playthings. All the aliens were played by children with comically large prosthetic hands. That's hilarious. Not children who already have large prosthetic hands. They were given large prosthetic hands. They weren't cast. I got this great girl. She's awesome. She's seven years old, adorable, and she's got these huge prosthetic hands. The episode features the Weekly World News. A tie-in issue was published at the time of the episode airing, and it included an important fact. A steak must be dipped in the blood of a trickster, trickster's victim in order for it to kill him. Really? So you're telling me that there was a real, the real Weekly World News published an issue at the same time. I don't know. This is news to me. How would you get a filet mignon dipped in the blood of a victim and use it to kill? Different kind of steak. Different kind of steak. This oh. Is a, a, oh. I didn't realize Weekly World News was that much in the fiction world. I just remember the Bat Boy one. That was the yeah. one that I always... You know, bad boy being on that thing. Yeah, I guess now when you look at it, it's like, well, yeah, why Why wouldn't that be fake? You know, I know you don't know this fun fact. Technically, this is the first appearance of an angel, a.k.a. Trickster, a.k.a. Gabriel, in the series. Oh, good point, because later on I, I reveal myself to be Gabriel. So so I beat Castiel to the punch. I'm the you first angel. Yeah. Dude. So take that, Misha Collins. Bragging rights. That plus uh, a couple of bucks would get me a mug of coffee. You know what I mean? That's right. Well, listen, I've been looking forward to doing this episode for a while, and it is, in all seriousness, fun to get your, you know, your origin story and how you wound up really here doing this podcast. Yeah, I know, dude. It's really crazy. I was texting my buddy Sammy, uh, Sam Klein, the other day, and I was telling him what we're doing. He's like, dude, did you ever think that going to do a guest spot? <laughs> and, and, and by the way, I'm doing this podcast about – my role as the trickster in the first episode of Supernatural I ever acted in in season two while sitting in a hotel room in New Orleans preparing to direct 
episode seven of season one of the Winchesters, a spinoff of Supernatural, crazy. 17 years later. Like, it's, it's kind of crazy. Though. No one ever could have guessed that. While doing a podcast that's a rewatch podcast about Supernatural. I mean, it's pretty nutty how much this is a part of our lives. You know? No, it's true. And we never, you know, you never could imagine on that plane ride where you're going, oh, I guess I'm more than just a janitor. Yeah. Fast forward 17 years. And here we are. And here we are, man. Um, well, thanks again to, to Bob. And thank you to you all people for listening to our little show here. We you know what? They're supporting our, po- they're doing a great job supporting our podcast. They're listening. They really but you know what? They could take it up or not. Do you know how, how Bobby? <laughs> how rich. Join Patreon. Yes, you could. You can join our Patreon page if you'd like. Um, and you get a lot of extra bonus stuff over there. So check that out. And in the meantime, just thanks for being here with us. We love doing the show. We appreciate you. This episode of Supernatural, Richard Spade Jr. stars as the trickster in Tall Tales. All right, Trey, play the dramatic music. <laughs> Richard Spade Jr. Firework noise. Firework noise. Thank you, Trey. Jerry Padalecki is featured as Sam Winchester. Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester. Guest stars include Jim Beaver, Barclay Hope, and David Tom. The episode was written by John Chabon and directed by Bradford May. Editing by David Ekstrom. Music by Christopher Lennertz. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and our guest, Robert Singer. The original broadcast of this episode featured the song Walk Away by the James Gang. This episode originally aired on February 15, 2007. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Haida Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. Oh, what's up, Booty? Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at SPN Then and Now. And join our Patreon at patreon.com slash SPN Then and Now. Yeah, it's so weird to watch that happen. Like, it's so strange to watch humanity fall apart like Jesus that. It's Christ. like one of those sequences in a zombie movie when people start going nuts and fighting over, like, a blouse in Target and beating each other's senses. Yeah. Like, it's so bizarre. Oh God. Yeah. The first thing they did was shave everything off. Story Mill Media. 